Good morning, Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. So the song that we just played for you is a little preview for a song we want to do for Easter Sunday. So if you have a chance, listen to it on YouTube. It's called Man of Sorrows and kind of prep yourself for things to come in the next couple of weeks. So I hope everyone had a a good chance to get out in the sunshine yesterday and enjoy some spring weather. I was thinking yesterday, you know, this is usually a time of year I don't like that much because it's so brown and empty and dead looking and dirty sometimes but for whatever reason this year I've I am loving it you know just that there's some hope to this year we are, we're in spring and we have hope ahead of us um, and just want to read a quick verse Isaiah 35 1 says the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing so that dry land that dry area that we've all come out of emotionally, spiritually, physically this year is about to blossom. So I I invite you all to stand and sing this morning. We're going to open up with This is Amazing Grace, and let's just rejoice a little bit in joy and singing this morning on this beautiful spring day.
Evangelical Free Church. It's great that you're with us. We're excited for you to be with us either in person or online. Um, before we continue in our service, we've got a couple of announcements. Um, there's a congregational meeting on the 28th. Um, so that Sunday will be after the worship service. Um, so if you are a member or you attend regularly, we uh, highly encourage you to be there. Um, we do have a Good Friday service coming up along with Easter. That's on April 2nd at 6.30 p.m. That'll be right here. Um, also, if you are planning on attending the Easter brunch, please RSVP and uh, just call the church office or email, email Lori at secretary at tlefc.org. This would normally be the time that we would take offerings. Um, we're not taking offerings like we normally do, but if you want to give, there is some uh, plates in the back on the table or you can give online. Uh, Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for our time together. Lord, thank you for the beautiful weather that we have been having. Thank you for the promise of spring and just the the passage of seasons. Lord, it's been been a year that has looked different, and um, it's, it's weird to think about Easter last year and where we're at now. But we know through all of this, you are sovereign, you are in control, you you still rose on the third day, and you still sit victoriously on your throne, Lord. So we thank you for that. We ask your blessing on us as we worship you. Let our worship be be truthful, Lord. Let us be um, worshiping you honestly. Help us to focus on you well this morning. Help us to, to love each other well this morning. And... Uh, We just thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together and worship you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue in worship this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we are going to go through a few songs in a row. So at any point, if you do want to sit down, please do. Find that spot that's comfortable for you to worship in. 
Today, Ian's going to be talking about Jesus as healer. So some of these songs kind of have that a little bit of that theme in them. But as I was thinking about this a little bit, um, you know, we have a lot of healing. I'm going to cry saying this, but we have a lot of healing to do. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, as much as I wanted, like, this moment where we would be back to normal, normal isn't going to happen for a very long time. There are relationships that need healing. You know, healing within our community, there's so many pieces of this year that need work yet. So as we're singing this morning and talking about healing and thinking about um, God and how he needs to work in our lives and in our community and our relationships, um, just kind of think on that this morning.
Show me. 
singing for you, Lord. We ask your blessing on the rest of our time together, and uh, we just thank you again for our opportunity to be together. Would you sing? Amen. So the idea of a king who heals is not a new one. For those of you who um, know me, or actually I think heard pretty much any of my other sermons, I love Lord of the Rings. And um, in Lord of the Rings, there's this character named Aragorn, who when I first read it as a kid, I just I fell in love with him. He's awesome, super cool. He's played by Viggo Mortensen in the Lord of the Rings edition by Peter Jackson. He's epic. But he starts out as this lowly ranger, all right? He's, he's described at one point as... They thought he was, well, they thought he was a bad guy, but the fact that he smelled too foul to be tricking them means that he probably was a good guy. So they thought, they ended up finding out that he's a good guy. But as this ranger, as the story progresses, he eventually gets back to this kingdom called Gondor, which he is the only living heir to. And when he gets to it, the kingdom is under siege by the forces of darkness, which are the armies of Mordor. If you, if you full geek, that's what it is. So he gets there, and what, what do you think the first thing that a king should do when he enters a city? You would think that he would go and he would claim the throne, right? This is my city. This is my kingdom. I'm the king. But instead, he goes to the houses of healing, which are, is like their hospital, 
and he begins to heal all those who had been struck down by something called the Black Breath, which is this, I wouldn't call it a dark spell, but it's this dark force that hits certain people. So that idea of the healer king has always resonated with me. So one time I looked up uh, where J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, got this. And he got it from the French and English kings of the medieval times used to have this thing that people believed called the king's touch. And there were certain diseases that could be healed, supposedly, by just the touch of a king. Now, did that actually work or not? I've, I would guess no. I don't, I don't know for sure. But these kings took that idea, that power, from their divine right to be kings and their idea that they were kind of ruling in, under the kingship of Christ. Today we are looking at Jesus as healer, and we're going to be continuing on the series that Pastor Tim has been doing for a while, Jesus Is, and we're in Luke. This is our second volume. Uh, Pastor Tim has been kind of doing a couple weeks, and then he, or well, like actually a lot of weeks, and then a break, and then more in Luke. So if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Luke, we are going to be in chapter 4, and I'm going to read um, 4, 31 through 44. And then we're going to take a little bit and we're going to kind of walk through it. And I'll be reading out of the uh, NIV, so the same as your few Bibles, but it will also be um, on the screen. Then he, that's Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue, and he went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. At the daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news to the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of God, to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So Jesus, last week, Pastor Tim talked about um, Jesus being rejected in Nazareth, right? This week, we are talking about the next step in Jesus' early Galilean ministry. So he's in the northern part of Israel. He's teaching. He gets kicked out of Nazareth, so he ends up in Capernaum, which 
Capernaum kind of becomes his home base, uh, where he lives for a time. Capernaum was a town on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, um, which it's not really a sea, it's like a big lake, right? So he's living on, on this big lake in this town. It's kind of this trade hub. It's where lots of different people come into the region. Um, the town of Capernaum was probably about 1,500 people, which, you know, that doesn't really sound that big to us, but at the same time, during that historical period, 1,500 people is quite a few. So there's a large fishing fleet. This is where Peter lives. He's called Simon in this, but it's Simon, Peter, whatever you want to call him. Um, he, uh, he's not yet, Simon is not yet called as a disciple. That'll be next week's passage. But, um, so that's where Jesus is. And he's going into these synagogues and he's teaching. So to get a picture of what a synagogue was in those days, um, so synagogues, so the word synagogue is Yiddish. It's not Hebrew. It's a, it's a Yiddish word. The Jews of the time, they instead would call synagogues by, they had three different names for it, okay? And each one was house of blank. So if you guys want to, here's, here's, the Hebrew, here's your Hebrew lesson for the day. The word bait, B-E-I-T, bait, okay? That's house. So it was house of prayer, house of gathering, or house of study. And so the Jews, the synagogue was kind of the center of their religion at this time, all right? There was still the temple, but the local religion was done in the synagogue. So you would gather as a community, you would study the Bible together, you would pray together. That's what the synagogue did. Rabbis on, rabbis on regular basis would read and interpret the passage, um, different passages of scripture, and uh, they, would, they would be teaching different people. Um, in other passages, they talk about that the passage of the week kind of is on a set schedule. Um, so in this passage, we don't know what Jesus exactly reads, but he reads from the Bible, right? And then he begins to teach. And when he begins to teach, everyone is completely blown, about, blown away by what he has to say. Now, when you think about it, they probably should have been blown away by what Jesus had to say because usually they had a rabbi interpreting the Bible, but instead it'd be like the best book signing you've ever been at where the author reads the book, right? So Jesus reads the Bible that he authored, and then he tells them what it means, right? So yeah, you, he probably, you probably should be astonished by what he has to say. But this also points to the fact that the rabbis and Jewish religious leaders were not teaching directly what the Old Testament said. They were twisting, a little, twisting it a little bit. Other places we look at what the Pharisees have to say and see that they are really teaching some, something that keeps them in power. So Jesus shows his authority over teaching in this passage. Let's continue into, the, into uh, this passage. So in verse 33, we see a demon-possessed man come into the synagogue. Now Jesus and this demon possessed man have this kind of standoff. Um, when you think about what's going on here, you see Jesus telling him, you know, to, to stop talking. What we need to see here is less of a conversation between two people, and we need to see more of literally like strategic moves on a chessboard, okay? 
the demon names Jesus, right? In verse 34, he says, Go away, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? That could also be a jab, kind of like you just were rejected in your hometown. Who are you, Jesus of Nazareth? Um, He continues to say, have you come to destroy us? When he says us, he's talking about, um, there's also like a, it's like him and, so the demon and the man, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebukes him, tells him to be quiet. Sternly tells him to come out, come out of him, and immediately the man, le- the impure spirit leaves. The man is unharmed. We see Jesus restoring this man back to his faculties. Really. Um, later on, he also talks to another couple demon possessed men. Forty-one. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, "You are the Son of God!" But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. So this brings up a question. As Jesus shows his authority over demons and other beings of the spiritual realm, why is he telling them to not speak? And really the underlying reason behind that is not one of secrecy. Many many times when we read these passages, we think, well, Jesus didn't want people to know who he was yet. But the reality is, Jesus, Jesus does want people to know who he is because he's the Messiah. And if people don't view him as the Messiah, will he really take his rightful place? But I want you to think about this. Do you guys remember when we used to have Christmas parties? Like where we'd all like gather inside and like eat food that was sitting out? Like just crazy, right? So <clears throat> let's say you go to a Christmas party, all right? When you get to that Christmas party, you look and you see your boss's boss there and you've never met them. And you're like, whoa, I want to impress this person. But you see two people standing next to your boss. The one person on the right, so we'll say they're person A, all right? Person A hates you and has been undermining your position for years, okay? They hate you. Person B is your best friend who sits in the cubicle next to you and just, it's great. Which one would you rather have introduced you to this boss? Would you rather have person A who hates you, or would you rather have person B who doesn't hate you? I think you'd rather have person B, right? Think if the first time you hear about the Messiah was from a demon-possessed crazy person. Okay? You're not going to be like, that's the guy I want to follow. That guy. You're going to be like, no, this guy, nope. The demons say he's the good one. Nope, not listening to him. Jesus... Jesus wants to show who he is in his own way, in his own words. When the demons are saying, you are the Holy One of God, they're not saying that in a reverent, awestruck, you are the authority way. They're saying it in a sneering, irreverent way. But Jesus, in the end, fully restores this man. Notice with, it's just words. He just says, go out of him. Part of the reason why this is really astonishing is I, I don't know a ton about Jewish or Christian exorcism by any means. However, both Jewish and Christian exorcism, so the removal of a demon from a person, are lengthy, painstaking processes. Um, so part of the reason why everyone was astonished 
was because he just says, get out of him. That's it. There's no, there's no process. They don't have to do anything nuts. They just said it. So Jesus shows his authority over demons in the spiritual realm. In verse 38, Jesus leaves the synagogue and he goes to Simon Peter's house, which Simon Peter's house you can go to today if you want to. It's in Capernaum. I was trying to find a picture and I can find one. Um, if you've been to Israel, you know that there's this really big church like directly over the like ruins of the house. And it looks kind of like a spaceship, okay? Yeah, Nancy knows what I'm talking about. It looks kind of like a spaceship. It's real weird. But you can, like, stand inside of this church and look down, and there's, like, this glass floor. And you can look into the place where Simon Peter evidently lived. Um, so Simon, he goes to Simon Peter's house. Um, now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. We have to think high fever is not... You know, we get fevers, we're okay. But in this time, high fevers were lots of times just a death sentence. Especially when you live in a climate where it's, you know, the desert, pretty much. So, Jesus comes in, he rebukes the fever, and it leaves him immediately. After this, he goes to, to into a crowd, right? And he again starts healing. This is in... Uh, Verse 40, at sunset, people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. So the laying out of hands. So Jesus didn't just come for the Jews. He was not just the Jews' Messiah. And this is one of the first times that we see a gesture that really points to the fact that he has a global mission and not just a, a Jewish one. The laying out of hands is not a Jewish thing. This would be very foreign to them. It was a Hellenistic or Greek thing, which on one level the Jews would have, well, especially the religious leaders, they would have said, whoa, what are, you, what are you doing? Why are you doing a Greek thing to Jews? But he lays hands on them, and they are healed. Jesus shows his authority over diseases and physical ailments in this way. Now, when I was... Doing, going through this passage and, and reading this, um, Pastor Tim gave, gave me this passage, and it's always interesting what passages I, I get, right? Because I get when he's gone. Um, so when I was reading, reading through this, I was trying to find a good sermon title. And so finally I came up with, Jesus is the purposeful healer. But I, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the best sermon title. I think what might have been better is, if I could find a better word, Jesus is the purposeful restorer, um, which doesn't sound super succinct, but I'm going with it. So Jesus' purpose on earth is not singularly to heal. It's not singularly to cast out demons. It's not, it's not even to teach. Jesus' pur- Jesus's purpose on earth is for the restoration of humanity through his reign. In John 10.10, in John 10.10, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And they're trying to figure out who he is, why he's here, and they're they're trying to trip him up. And this is what he says. This is kind of the end of his, his passage where he's talking here. This is just before he starts talking about being the good shepherd. In John 10.10, he says, 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So when we read have it to the full or fullest in some translations, we think like, oh, he wants us to like live life to the extreme, right? Go out and do everything that you can do. Um, how many of you guys have ever heard of YOLO? Right? You only live once. That's, that's what, when, when I first read that passage, that's what I thought of. But I have a pastor friend who, instead of saying life to the fullest, he says, we're called to live life done right. And that's what Jesus has come to do, is to restore what life is supposed to be. Jesus ends this passage, 42 through 44, all, he goes to a, a secluded place. All these people come to him. They try and keep him from leaving Galilee. But he ends up going and leaving for Judea, and he starts preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And as he's leaving, he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Jesus didn't just heal or cast out demons or teach just because he had compassion for these people. Did he have compassion for these people? Absolutely. But his purpose was much bigger than that. His purpose was the restoration of the human race. So remember we were talking about Aragorn at the start, Lord of the Rings hero, King of Gondor. Aragorn is the healer, right? But Aragorn also knows that he can't win against the forces of darkness. He knows that the only way to win is for a powerful ring that's held by a very small person called a hobbit to be thrown into a volcano. So Aragorn leaves his kingdom and makes himself the target for the Dark Lord to focus on so that little hobbit can throw the ring into Mount Doom. And then he comes back and restores his kingdom. Lots of times people question whether Tolkien really had Christian ideas in his, in his books, but the reality is I think that's a very clear picture that Aragorn was willing to sacrifice himself and his kingdom, everything, for the destruction of the Dark Lord. Jesus, in the same way, knew that his restoration was bigger and it would take a sacrifice on a cross, his sacrifice on a cross. So what does all this mean for you? Jesus is the healer, the purposeful healer. Well, number one, if you don't know or haven't had an encounter with Jesus as the, as the healer, I, I would ask that you would come and talk to me at some point. Jesus invites everyone into his kingdom through himself. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Number two, we need to understand that we live in a world that is filled with spiritual forces. Does that mean that we need to be looking for demons under every single rock? No. But we also need to live as if there is a spiritual realm in reality working behind the scenes. And we need to be sensitive to it. And finally, number three, we need to be agents of restoration. Jesus came to heal and restore humanity. We need to be willing to look at our neighbor and love them 
and help them see Jesus' restoration. Even if it's just in our own lives. Even if it's just a little thing. I'm going to end in prayer. Um, but I'm going to ask if the worship team would come up here as I'm, as I'm finishing up. And if they would just be willing to um, play something for a couple minutes quietly. Um, I'd like you guys to have a couple minutes of quiet reflection before we, before we close. Dear Jesus, you are the purposeful healer, Lord. You didn't just heal. You didn't just heal people that needed to be healed. You also came and showed them that they needed something else. That their sin needed you, Lord. You came and healed and showed that you are the Messiah. And that your restoration is coming. Some of us, some of us look at the world and say, in a world this bad, how could anything good happen? But the reality is that this world has fallen and you are the good that can be in it, Lord. We ask your blessing on the rest of our time together. We love you, Father God. In Jesus' name.
way of benediction, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You're dismissed. We have Sunday school at 1030 and we have coffee downstairs for, for everyone who's, who wants to have coffee.
like, there goes doug again.